Welcome to HR in 15, a podcast dedicated to addressing the complexities of modern HR in just 15 minutes. Brought to you by Prestige PEO, simplifying HR. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for HR in 15. I'm your host, Eric Foodham, Chief Operating Officer here at Prestige PEO. Continuing our discussion on the impacts of COVID-19 on small and medium-sized businesses, today we're joined by Kim Malerba, partner at Ruskin Moscow and Faltacek PC. As states announce reopening plans, employers and employees are eager to get back to work, but it isn't as simple as just returning to the office. Many employers have had to make tough adjustments in light of COVID-19, so there's plenty to sort through in terms of wage concerns, managing a modified workforce, and accommodating new requests for employee leave. Kim focuses her practice on representing employers in all types of employer-employee disputes and human resources-related matters. Kim regularly provides management and harassment training and represents employers before state and federal agencies. She also advises companies on best practices concerning management of disability accommodations and leave-related issues, reductions in workforce and wage and hour concerns, hiring and separations from employment and performance management, and most recently in connection with COVID-19 related employment concerns. She does a lot. She's here to share some of the most pressing challenges her clients are facing as they prepare to have their employees return to work. Thank you for joining us, Kim. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're excited to have you. And just uh, generally, how have your clients been with this new normal over the last three months of our pandemic? It's definitely been a struggle for a number of our clients, but now that we're moving towards this reopening, a lot of our clients who were not open, who were not essential businesses are starting to gear back up. And I think everybody is looking forward to trying to inching towards at least a new normal. Inching towards a new normal is exactly what we see as well. Um, A lot of employees have been furloughed and furloughed is a big word or their jobs have been modified since the onset of COVID-19. I'd like to understand how this will impact employers and employees moving forward. So I think the way you just described it, that furlough is a big word, is definitely the case. And we have found that furlough meant and, and continues to mean different things to a lot of companies. But generally speaking, employees who have been furloughed do have some expectation of returning to work and of being recalled. And so now that our clients are working towards recalling employees, there are a number of things that employers have to think about. Um, the first is when you're determining who's going to return back to work, you have to make sure that that's being done in a way that's non-discriminatory. So the same thing, uh, the same thought process that we had gone through with a lot of our clients when they were putting people on furlough is now coming back again when they're returning. So making sure that you don't have um, any particular protected classes that are being adversely impacted in terms of who is returning from furlough um, and that returns are being done in some sort of an objective way, whether it's based on seniority or certain departments that you want to bring back. So that's that's the first uh, consideration is determining who is going to come back. But the next thing that we have found to be a tremendous issue for a number of clients, in fact, I spoke with several just this morning on this very issue, is getting some people to return who you've asked to return from furlough. And there are a few issues that are really driving this right now. One is the fact that a lot of people who are on unemployment are getting paid more to be home than they are to work. 
And so the increased unemployment, which right now through the end of July, employees on unemployment are getting the additional $600 per week supplement from the federal unemployment, they sometimes do not want to come back to work. And you also have a group of people who are just afraid to come back. And some of those have legitimate reasons um, in terms of protection under the law, for example, those in a high risk category, and some who just are uncomfortable returning to work. And these are uh, significant issues for workforce management for companies who are trying to figure out how their workforce is going to look in the next coming weeks or months. I, I think that topic Kim, has been a really hot topic with our clients as well. In general, um, are em employees in essence are required to come back to work if they don't, if, if they're just you know, regular employee is not necessarily protected. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think that that is fair. You know, the generalized fear of returning to work is not necessarily protected, um, particularly if employers are taking all the necessary steps that they're supposed to take under state law and under federal law um, and under CDC guidance. Employees who just um, are concerned about sort of re-entering the world right now don't have a right, per se, to retain their job and to not come to work. So, of course, employees can opt not to return to work, but that does not necessarily entitle them to maintain their job. Um, employees who are at high risk have a little bit of a different um, category because there are additional protections available, potentially, for those who may need an accommodation, um, and the CDC guidance provides for additional protections for those type of workers. Right. And you mentioned, and you mentioned something really interesting as well with unemployment, right? So what happens if an employee comes, comes to their employer and says, Hey, I, I don't want to come back. I'm making more money with the unemployment benefits. Like, what do you, what do you say to that? We've, we've had this a lot and it was sort of shocking when I first heard employees or companies coming to me, telling me about their employees saying that they've actually had employees come to them and say, you know what, I've decided to remain on furlough. And that's generally not the, at the election of the employee. So employees who have no good reason, so to speak, to um, remain out of work, they should not be entitled to unemployment uh, any longer. And so employers should um, advise unemployment of those who they've asked to return to work because Again, technically speaking, those people would not be entitled to unemployment. It's not completely clear that unemployment is catching up to this yet in terms of uh, denying benefits, but uh, they may, these employees who are not um, properly getting benefits any for any longer because they've been asked to come back to work and have refused without a good reason to return, they may, after the fact, end up needing to repay benefits or uh, it, you know, it could potentially even be found that they're fraudulently receiving benefits after the time that they were recalled. Is the company um, no longer obligated to rehire in that standpoint? Well, once they've offered employment to the employee, if they refuse to come back to work, you know, my position on that would be that they've re they voluntarily resigned at that point, and they are no longer employed if the company seeks to take that position. Yes, that's that's how I would that's how I would I would assume that to be makes sense. Um, what are what are role modifications 
that cause changes to an exempt or non-exempt status? So this is an interesting issue that has really arisen both as a result of some of the remote work that has taken place over the last several months when a lot of businesses were closed, and also now that employees are starting to come back to the office. One of, there's, there's a couple of different things that employers have to look to. One is the salary threshold. So some companies have made salary reductions, um, or they will be making salary reductions once they've recalled their workforce. And in order to retain the exempt status, you need to make sure that you're, being, you're paying at the sufficient level in order to satisfy the salary requirements under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal law, and under New York state law. So that's the first part. But the second involves the duties. So, for example, a, a supervisor or someone who was the supervisor in the past who was exempt um, a, a, under the executive exe exemption, uh, for example, they need to supervise at least two full-time or equivalent workers at all times. And so if you have a modified workforce and you have people coming back, but maybe not the subordinates for that supervisor, and they no longer have those supervisory responsibilities, then you have to look and see whether they still satisfy the duties requirements under that exemption or some other exemption. Because if the exemption is lost, then, of course, there are other attendant responsibilities, timekeeping, um, possible overtime for hours that are worked um, over 40 in a week. So it's very important that as employers start to bring employees back, that they check on their uh, job descriptions, on any exemptions, to make sure that this, the duties and the salaries continue to be met in order to keep the exemption. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, this is this is very important um, in in my opinion, and I think that employers out there that are struggling with this topic of exempt versus non-exempt based on job changes or job modifications during this time period should definitely contact Kim um, or their PTO <laughs> for further uh, clarification because this could get this could be a, a violation pretty quickly. Um, I do. I want to yeah. move on to um, wage modifications. Are there any uh, mod wage modifications to take into account? So again, as we discussed just now for the exemption issue, it's important to um, be aware that if you are reducing someone's salary or if you are um, changing their job description, it's such as to change the classification from either a salaried position, exempt position to an hourly position, that you provide um, the New York State wage notices, the acknowledgement and the notice and acknowledgement of pay rate because um, that would be something that would trigger an obligation to provide that kind of notice. Um, and of course, you know, we're talking about exemption, but with any wage modifications, you know, with lower wage earners, it's also, of course, important to make sure that nobody gets decreased below minimum wage um, and that all overtime rates, again, continue to be um, at uh, lawful levels. Yeah, I would also just add to that, if you have taken a loan under the Paycheck Protection Program, and you're lowering wages in any shape, you should just be very careful um, that you're not you know, kind of losing some of your forgiveness of your loans. So I think that's a, that's very, these are very important things to take into account. Um, I'm gonna shift over to um, reduced density requirements and other safety measures maybe required by New York State that might affect businesses. Um, can you just go over quickly the uh, New York Forward Safety Plan for us? Sure. So this is the, the template that's been provided by New York State 
that all employers have to complete in order to safely reopen and to go back into their workspaces. So we just recently received phase two guidance from the state um, and between the safety plan and the guidance, it's, there are a litany of things that employers have to be aware of. And the nice thing about it is it does provide a roadmap for employers to ensure that they are in fact providing all of the necessary safety requirements to reopen. So the safety plan goes through facilities issues, PPE issues, employee individual uh, issues with visitors, with social distancing, with all of these requirements. And so by completing the plan in which you have to identify that you will in fact be complying with each of the elements and then put, provide descriptions of areas in which, you know, if let's say for example, with social distancing, if there are places where you can't socially distance, what kind of other things are you going to do? Will there be physical barriers? Um, you know, and it also requires a lot of other physical modifications in the office in order to provide safe um, working accommodations for individuals, spacing out of where desks should be, um, you know, where people can stand. And also it deals with a lot of other like hotspot issues. So shared spaces, what is allowed to be open, what's not, you know, the, the, to the extent that employers can not only meet this guidance, but in some respects provide also the, the suggested changes. So for example, closing kitchens, coffee makers, things where there's a lot of touching and that can't be sanitized appropriately, employers are going to best position themselves to not only provide safe working conditions for their employees, but also to hopefully save off any types of claims that they're not providing a safe work environment. There is a lot to think about on this one too. So I, I would suggest that um, if you're an employer and, and you need some of these templates and ideas that you can find them on uh, the Prestige PEO um, Resource Center. Um, there's a lot to consider here. Um, thanks, Kim. Um, what, what are you seeing um, as having staff return at this point? How, how for, for companies that are um, returning to work, how are they doing that? So there are a lot of different models that people are using. Some of the more recent um, discussions that I've had with clients, they've taken a few different approaches. One is a team approach, and the idea being that you split the workforce into two teams or three teams, and people may come in for, let's say, a week at a time or two weeks at a time, and the goal would be to have those same people on the team only be with the same individuals and not necessarily intermingle with any other team so that if, you know, hopefully nobody gets sick, but in the event someone on that team gets sick, they will not have interfaced with anybody on the other teams. So that's one approach, staggering the team model or staggering shifts, having, you know, an early shift and a late shift with a cleaning in between the times that individuals come to the workplace. Um, there are also a lot of companies that are continuing to encourage as many employees who can work remotely to continue to do so. So some employers are having those who must return, for example, manufacturing um, uh, or other types of manual work that cannot be done remotely. They're having those workers return to work, but the more administrative or um, executive types of employees who can do the work remotely, keeping those out of the office, again, 
in order not only to meet the density requirements, um, office-based uh, businesses cannot have more than 50% maximum occupancy at any time, and that includes visitors, which again, you know, visitors are, uh, should not be permitted unless absolutely required, but anyone in that space counts towards that 50%. So there are all these different approaches, but um, it really depends on the company, and I think it really is very fact-specific to what that company does but what we've been talking about for really weeks prior to this um, phase two opening was for companies to think about who really needs to be in the office. And I don't know about Eric for you, but I think what a lot of our clients have found is that people can work remotely a lot more than they thought. Um, because I think a lot of us like to think that we need to be in the office to do a lot of things, but we found that a lot of work can be done remotely. It's really interesting. We, we, at, we at Prestige found that a lot of our employees wanted to come back to the office. Um, who, who would ever think that, right? So we, yeah. we have probably on a weekly basis, employees are returning to work on a weekly basis, um, about 35 to 40% at a, at a clip at a time in the office. So, um, you, you know, we, we think it's gonna work out really well for us. But again, to your point, Kim, every company, every employer, vertical industry is different. So the, the, the needs will be different. So one, one last question, because I know this is a question that's been coming through as well, and I'm sure for you as well. Um, what are some of the possible ramifications for not complying with some of these guidelines? And, 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 and this one I'll bring into play like OSHA guidelines and any type of um, idea of failure to providing a, a, a safe workplace. What, what, what's, what are the ramifications there? Sure. So that is, of course, a very important question. So the most likely way that this would become a problem is if individuals end up sick in your workplace. Um, so there, as you said, OSHA, you have an obligation, all companies do, to provide a safe working environment for their employees. And so if a company has not either completed or complied with their safety plan, if they are not following CDC guidance, there is a, a strong argument that might be made that an individual workplace is not being provide the, the workplace is not providing a safe working environment for the employees. Um, there's also the possibility of negligence claims that if employees get sick and you're not following the guidance, an employee may be able to argue, possibly um, successfully, that you did not take the necessary steps to protect them from um, a known possible illness or injury. Do you, do you feel that there's uh, possible legislation that will be coming out concerning um, possible immunity for employers? So we've been hearing a lot of, uh, of news that there is this idea of potential immunity, um, that laws are being considered, legislation is being considered, both on a federal level and on a state level, to help to protect employers because a lot of employers are concerned they're bringing their employees back and they're very fearful that if people get sick, they don't wanna be held responsible for that. Employers need to proceed as carefully as possible because um, there is no guarantee that there will be any um, legislation that will pass. Understood. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another exciting episode of HRN15. Be sure to check out all episodes of HRN15 in the Resource Center on our website, prestigepeo.com. For questions or more information on today's topic, visit prestigepeo.com.